It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. a sampling from the title track of an album by my guest today, Canadian-based multi-instrumentalist and bass player extraordinaire John Lee, whose debut album as a leader is called The Artist, and it is out through the Cellar Music Group. John, thanks for joining us here on All That's Jazz. Thanks for having me, Alan. So what a pleasure it is to engage with you on this album, uh, which, by the way, I should let you know that I think my wife has worn this album out, so I'm going to have to get another copy of the CD. She absolutely loves it, and she wanted me to let you know about the fact that she plays it over and over again. In fact, I took a recent trip, and I took a bunch of CDs with me, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to take that one. (laughs) that's awesome well please send her my best and and, and please tell her thank you for that that's that's very kind it truly is uh, an amazingly wonderful album and uh, it's it's well worth the listen over and over again let's talk a little bit about yourself first before we jump into the album because you have such an interesting background you're South Korean born but you were raised in Nanaimo Canada which also happens to be the place where Diana Krall is from. You know, she's a very important figure and, and an important person to uh, to Nanaimo. So her name gets thrown around a lot, and I was I was definitely aware of it. Uh, yeah, far before I was really like a jazz musician. So have you ever had the chance to meet her, or maybe even work with her? I've never had a chance to meet her or work with her, but uh, you know. Being in her band is actually uh, like a long-term goal of mine because uh, the people that, the artists that she works with are sort of part of my my favorite musical family of artists. You know, basically the Ray Brown School, you know, with John Clayton and Jeff Hamilton, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 that whole uh, Penny Green, of course, same thing. All, all, those, uh, all those artists are are basically sort of where my roots are from. Being from the West Coast, they, they have a, a huge impact on the West Coast scene uh, in general. And, and and if I can comment quickly on that is that, you know, in high school, we used to go down to the Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival every year with the school. And that was my first exposure to jazz. And John Clayton was head of the, uh, the whole festival at that time. So we got to see him and of course, we got to see so many artists that I just didn't really know who they were at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember just while the concert's happening, just running around like a little kid with my friends and, and, and not really paying attention to the music, frankly. And then way later, once I, once I became a jazz musician and I did the whole thing, way later in my life, I was sifting through some old uh, 
you know, just family stuff. And, and these pamphlets came out from those jazz festivals. And I looked through and saw all the names of the performers that were playing right in front of me and I wasn't paying attention. And now I'm just kicking myself because the list was just so vast at that time. You know? Tell me, how old were you when uh, the family moved from South Korea to Canada? So that was in 98. So I was five years old at that time. Was it because of your father's work or your family's work or what uh, What brought you here? Uh, I think it was a combination of there was like an economic crisis happening in Korea at that time. And my parents were like, maybe it's time to move. It was for the lifestyle change, basically, mm-hmm. you know, just to go to a different land with a better life, you know. And then they, they basically just chose Canada right off the bat. And, and we visited here once, uh, like, really quickly in 97, and then we went back, grabbed our things, and came back. Oh, by the way, I, I should tell you that we are downloaded in a number of countries all over the world, but our number two audience is South Korea. Uh, that's amazing, because I have, I have you know, virtually no uh, ties there directly anymore. I haven't been there since I was 10 years old. So maybe it's time to make a trip back, maybe play a couple gigs or something. I would think so, now that many of our South Korean listeners will hear this. Oh, yeah. The scene seems to be actually quite vibrant there. Uh, One of my dear friends from Canada who lives there now, a bass player by the name of Sean Drabbit, he's been living there for the last, I don't know, like four or five years or something like that, and he's just been uh, loving it. He says the scene is very vibrant, and a lot of people come to the shows, listening to music and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not surprised to hear that that, you know, just, just from that personal connection, I'm not surprised to hear that South Korea is really getting hip to jazz, basically. And I, I love it. And they're obviously hip to our podcast because it's it's a great tribute uh, for us, and, and we're very, very grateful for it. Where did the jazz begin to come into your life? I know your father was a an artist. Uh, I'm not sure of the rest of your family. Were there any uh, musicians in the family? Yeah, so my parents were always into music. And even the first four or five years of my life living in Korea, they would take us to concerts and stuff, you know, um, big name acts that would come to, you know, rock bands and stuff. When we moved to Canada, my mom put me in piano lessons right away when I was five years old. And I have an older brother, his name is Sean. And he's four years older than me. And he played violin and I played piano. It was the classic combo. But we never played together like that. As he was growing up, he was getting into all sorts of different kinds of music. And he would sort of share that with me. So he was like the, the main musician uh, man in the house, basically. And my, my dad played a little bit of guitar and sang and things like that. But the the actual jazz music would have started when my mom's uh, one of her like best friends from high school, he happened to be an amateur jazz guitar player in Japan. And he sent us this box of CDs. It was like 20 to 30 CDs uh, when I was around eight years old. And he shipped it over. And inside this box had basically everything that I would come to love. And my brother was the first one to start taking CDs out of that box and turning it on. And I think he was really getting into it. And because he was my older brother, he showed me everything, uh, the really good stuff too. I mean, it had all the classics, you know, like Kind of Blue, Giant Steps, all these like really famous ones, but it also had like Horace Silver, 
Papa Joe Jones, like some like Ron Carter, Jim Hall stuff. Like it had all, all a wide variety of basically straight ahead jazz, I guess if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a it was just a really cool time for me just just discovering that music, and I never remember not liking it. You know, it was sure. always just part of the musical collection. But of course, me and my brother, we we really wanted to pursue being rock musicians, you know, and we're covering all the bands and all that. Doesn't everyone? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That seems to be sort of where the excitement first starts of of wanting to be a musician. And then there's uh, something that happens in between where you say that you you want more uh, as far as some kind of depth or, or what do you want to call it, an, an artistic quality about it that's the improvisation and just all these things that make you go, oh, this is more the complex food that I need for my ears, you know, for for my ear food, you know. So, yeah. Well, the music obviously crept into you because uh, you're not only a great bass player, but you play the drums, you play the piano, the organ, the guitar. What don't you play? <laughs> I play. I don't play most of the instruments, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically playing five now, I guess, because of this organ thing that's sort of come into my life the last two years. But I, I basically just consider myself as a as a rhythm section specialist, if you will. You know, uh, never played wind instruments, just never had that level of mastery of that aspect of my body. You know, but I know exactly what I would play if I could play trumpet I and mean, that's that's what i would play if i could play with instruments so when you were in high school or grammar school where did the music or the formal training in music begin i know you ended up at berkeley college but when did the music start coming into your educational world well first when i got into the first like band class they didn't allow in the grade eight concert band any of the instruments that I played up to that point, which was electric bass and guitar and uh, piano. So uh, the only other logical instrument uh, to me at that time as a kid, just like, oh, the only like other real instrument that there is to play is drum. So I, I was already playing the other three stuff, you know, uh, or the other three instruments while, while I was, um, when I was going to high school. So I picked up the drums, and that's really where I sort of fell in love with the music in a really deep way. And and, and of course, drums is what I ended up going to school for. And, and I did a study on the other instruments while I was in college, and you know, I was just playing drums. That's like still, uh, to be honest, is sort of my passion over over everything that I do. It'll always hold a special place in my heart in that way. Uh, a drummer by the name of James McRae was my first drum teacher, and he was a really strong influence you know he, he i remember going into my first drum lesson with him and telling him you know oh can you teach me hoffer teacher by van halen you know <laughs> and he was like yeah sure and and we got through the lesson but right at the end of the lesson my first lesson he said hey why don't you listen to this he played me like a samba beat and i remember just being like that is it it was just this ride symbol thing and this the way that it felt so he uh, started showing me also like different kinds of music. He would, let, he would give me uh, CDs to take home and all that. So this gave me a lot of inspiration uh, going through the first three years of my high school. 
to keep doing this jazz thing. And because of that, my dad said, hey, well, there's this other high school uh, called Wellington Secondary in Nanaimo. And apparently they have the best jazz program in the, in the, in the, um, in the town. You know, and I said, okay, yeah, sure. So we, you know, I moved to that high school and I met a dear friend of mine and my, my band director at the time named Carmela Luvisoto. And she was like the one that really graduated me into this next step of, of kind of being involved in the scene, even if it's in a very small way. She was the one that was bringing Berkeley alumni like Ingrid Jensen a bass player by the name of Christian Fabian. Uh, oh, geez. Oh, there's so many people she would bring uh, into the school. So she was really serious about it. She actually studied with Diana Krall, you know. Oh, really? Okay. So, yeah, back in the day, right? So she really uh, was the one that was like, you can do this, you can do this. Here's some exposure to what it's like to be maybe around some of these great musicians. She's just to get the feel and just to understand all aspects about what it means to do this and she's she was kind of the one that made me inspired to to apply to berkeley and at the recommendation of some of those people that i mentioned mm -hmm. uh i was able to get in and and continue my jazz journey if you will over there in in the, in the u.s which was a big deal obviously being uh, from a from a small island in Canada, it was a huge deal for me to go out there. So what, what drew you back to Canada versus after Berkeley not heading to New York like so many other musicians have? Uh, you know, it, it, it was, um, I mean, I guess this sort of links into a little bit of the what the album is about, but it, but it has some, quite something to do with my dad's passing, you know, when because mm -hmm. he passed in 2014. And which this is like this crazy story where I kind of came home and then he got sick. Like I, I, I dropped, I didn't drop out, but I said I was going to take a break from school. And then he got sick after I got home and I was able to stay and, 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 and be with him for like the last uh, basically like year and a half of his life. And then after that, you know, my dad was like, I just want you to finish school. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So once he passed, I went and finished school. But once I was done, I felt this kind of need to come back and sort of still ground myself with my mom and just kind of just make sure everything's cool over here before maybe I go out and do something else, you know. So I came home, but it, it was the work. I mean, this is kind of hard, you know, it's not many get to say this, but the work just kept piling up. And, and, and to be honest, to this day, it's still piling up and, and I can't leave anymore because you know, that I, I thought that I wanted to to do a master's maybe or something like that, you know, maybe go to, you know, maybe do a little more school and, and stuff like that. But it just kind of turned out this way where I met Corey, of course, uh, about four or five years ago. That also changed a lot as far as my decision making process, because he's somebody who brings a little bit of New York to me, you know, to everybody here around this area. As you mentioned, Corey, um, namely Corey Weeds, the great saxophonist and also the head of the Cellar Music Group. What, what a great influencer for you. So he's kept me musically inspired. You know, he, if things keep going the way that they're going, he might become, he might be, I'm, I might have already met the most important person I'll meet in my life 
you know, already. If, 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 if the story plays out the way that it's sort of going, you know, we have a, we have a, a, a truly a deep friendship and, you know, we, we have a work relationship and we have a, almost like a family type relationship. He, he's a really incredible person in, in, in many ways. And I, I think we'll be doing a lot of great things together for many years to come. You know, he's a very important person to me. So is it true that when you were developing your first album as a leader, namely the artist, was it true that you were actually trying to figure out what instrument to settle on to embark on this album? And then it was Corey who pushed you over the edge toward the bass? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm somebody, you know, I'm I'm green to the studio. You know, I've always been a live player. You know, like taking chances and and doing things that make that experience that night for the people who were there uh, some kind of experience to take home, and that's the only kind of way that I knew how to play. And and the studio was always like this kind of under the microscope kind of a feeling. You know, whenever you're in there trying to make good music, so I never had that much interest in recording to begin with, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And and Corey was the one that said, "We gotta do your first album. We gotta do your first album." And he was the one that suggested that I play bass. That he was like, "Who do you want on drums?" And I said, "Well, I mean, you know, this like like who can I get? You know?" And he's like, "How about Carl Allen?" I'm like, "You can get Carl Allen over here to record with me." You know, and it sort of started out like that, like this kind of dream project. And then, of course, him being the incredible person that he is he's able to make all the stuff come to life like really fast mm-hmm. like faster than i can handle you know because like i said i can wait forever to do another recording um but of course we're going to do one again uh soon i think next year so you started formulating the album uh, i think it was during pandemic uh, or in october of 2021 i think it was some something like that yeah it was a one one year delay that's for sure now, you, you started out assembling people, and then uh, your drummer, as you said, was, was someone who is uh, you're in awe of and uh, extremely grateful to have on this album, and that's Carl Allen. And joining you on the album, you also have, by way of a, a strange happenstance uh, for a pianist, you started out with Eric Reed, but then COVID got in the way, not that he had it, but because uh, there was uh, a problem with access? Yeah, so basically what happened was uh, there was flight cancellations happening, but he had that, I can't remember what they called it, but it was that 72-hour window of being able to travel once you get checked. And basically these flight cancellations happened two days in a row, and by the third day, like his COVID testing ran out. And then it was just like, it took like a, it was like a long wait list to even get one in the first place. So the timing just didn't work out. He wasn't able to fly out that, you know, that all that went and happened and Miles Black ended up playing on the recording. And of course, your fourth musician is Corey Weeds. That's right. So Yeah. I, I mean, he makes me feel at home. You know, I told him I, I need you to be on this album. He sounded beautiful on that recording. He does. Uh, yeah. And it just lends itself to just excellence through and through the entire album. And speaking of the album, let's talk about it. Once you finally uh, got together your ensemble for this, 
Who chose the tracks or the tunes to play on? Was that all your doing, or did you have it, it input? Was, yeah, it was a hundred. It was all my doing. And and you know the 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 funniest part about it is when we were supposed to record the album a year prior, the tunes that I had ready and arranged and ready to go, none of them ended up on the on the version that ended up coming out a year later because my musical conception and and just what I was into and what I was enjoying about music sort of changed during that one year. You talk about putting the hook in and reeling everybody in. You started out with a Mulgrew Miller tune. It's called mm-hmm. Soul Leo. Mm-hmm. And that the first time we put that CD on, uh, we started listening to it and it was like, wow, I'm in. Give me more. Give me more. It's an OMG kind of moment. Uh, right. Uh, did you intentionally want to create that? Was it uh, to show off your swinging self or your groove self? Oh yeah, absolutely. That was I knew that was going to be the first track, and also it ended up being the first single as well. I believe that came out. This bass player friend I told you about earlier, Sean Drabe, he actually, uh, we played a gig together and he brought in that tune and we played that tune. I never heard that tune in my life. That was like a month or something before I decided what to put on the on the record. So like that was like really fresh repertoire for me, like Solio. And then from there, you jump into a Benny Green tune uh, and, and that was Carl's Blues. That's right. Uh, that's that's that. originally off of uh, Benny Green's Live at the Village Vanguard, uh, Testifying, that's what the album is called, 1991, I believe. That's like one of my Desert Island recordings, you know, that's uh, the modern, it's like the modern straight ahead way to approach playing piano trio. green you know peak peak like benny green just amazing you know like well thought out arrangements and all that kind of stuff that they were doing and taking risks at the same time them being quite young at the time featuring a 19 year old christian mcbride of course Mm -hmm. you know and 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 that was that band and that era was such a large part of of 
my musical development as far as like the stuff that I was checking out, like early Christian McBride with Carl Allen on drums. I got to play Carl's blues with Carl. You know, it was a real magical moment for me, man. So uh, you obviously have a proclivity for the uh, classics as well because uh, you follow that with Softly as in a Morning Sunrise. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful tune. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a really good tune. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's a tune. Uh, that's a piano trio. That, that's actually an arrangement that I played in my piano trio. It's just an, a simple arrangement of mine inspired by Ahmad Jamal. And his sort of uh, approach to playing this kind of spacious, usually there's like some kind of a uh, a vamp of some kind, some kind of like this drone sound and all these kind of approaches to playing piano trio. So that that's actually something that I used to uh, do with my piano trio about a year prior to that recording. And I just thought it'd be a really good one to, to, to throw in there. Good peaks and valleys to it. Well, and it starts out very slowly and uh, Mm -hmm. melodically, and then all of a sudden, boy, you just swing, and and it (laughs) takes over from there. And that's part of your mantra or your your inner core and soul is is the swing element. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that's that's just the music that I grew up listening to. You know, like my heart. And my soul is really in the swing. Like, that's really what I like to do. Well, you're, you're not just one who swings, but you also uh, have a, a beautiful talent to bring the ballad to life. And that's mm-hmm. where you draw in Corey Weeds again on this with a, a tune called Fabian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a tune that he showed me, uh, Corey showed me, uh, written by a saxophone player named George Robert that, uh, was Corey's teacher. That's his composition. So it was actually featured on Corey's recording live at Frankie's Jazz Club with Harold Mayburn and Terrell Stafford. And I just love that tune. And, and and I just said that we should we should play it. We should record it if he's okay with that. Because I see I got his permission, his unofficial permission, because it had just been featured not that long ago on his live CD. And he said, yeah, I guess we can just record it again. So we ended up doing it.
and it turned out really good. Yeah, he, he plays beautifully on it, as do you and uh, mm-hmm. the rest of your group. Yeah, he's had some good time with that tune, so I think he played it real good. So of the eight tracks that are on this album, John, there there's two of them that are your original compositions, one of mm-hmm. which is Life is a Beautiful Thing. That was a tune. I mean, the whole album is dedicated to to my father, you know, who passed away in 2014. Uh, I just never had any official means to do some kind of a tribute for him, you know. So I wrote that tune. I wrote Life is a Beautiful Thing and the other tune, The Artist, all on the same day, quite close to the recording session. Uh, probably a little, you know, I hope you're not listening to this, Corey, but, you know, uh, it was quite close to the recording session that I had uh, <laughs> written those tunes, you know, even though I'm pretty sure I alluded to them that I've had them for a while, ready to go for the recording, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it was uh, th- two tunes that I wrote to sort of pay tribute to my, my father, I guess, basically. He was a painter, you know. He did commercial painting in Korea, you know, kind of made his living that way. And then when we moved here, he started to be able to do, like, uh, uh, some freelance work and do stuff that he was really passionate about. I grew up just seeing my dad make all these wonderful paintings and stuff. And and, and I guess, you know, he was a very artistic person uh, in many ways, like in in music as well, and just what what he appreciated about life. That's why I named it The Artist. He is the artist. He's the one that that sort of put this fuel inside me that that made me want to create things for people so i came up with the best stuff that i could and decided to put it on the record and the last couple of tunes on the album uh they are obviously uh, not yours uh, but they are great tunes uh, one is september in the rain and i like that one because that's where you have a a, a solo on that particular piece that just is mesmerizing oh you like that yeah that that's you know that's definitely you know what like that's probably one tune that kind of dates back a little further that just has always been one of my favorite standards to play it was always like whenever you're in any situation it's like hey you want to just like play a tune or something like that maybe you're at a jam session or something that was always one that that we played
course, my my favorite version, which is not even like an official version, is that there's a a video on YouTube of uh, it's like a long, young lions concert with like Roy Hargrove, Christian, and they're all really young and they play that tune, and Christian takes this wonderful uh, uh, arco bass solo. The way that uh, Christian played that tune on that particular video. Uh, definitely inspired a lot of my sort of soloing ideas and things like that on that recording. And then, John, you close out the entire album where you guys just let it rip through the whole ensemble for a Joshua Redmond tune called Blues on Sunday. I find that musicians of my generation don't listen to as many records as maybe we should because we spend so much time watching videos of our heroes instead of listening to the work of our heroes, you know. I want to believe that if people had our technology back in the day, they would have just done the same thing. In fact, I mean, I know that they would have because we are the people that are born back in the day of technology where we can one day say, like, yeah, like, I grew up watching a lot of videos of my heroes, you know, maybe, and not sitting down listening to recordings so much. So there's this, so there's, so amongst my generation, there's all these kind of legendary videos, you know, on YouTube of, of, of uh, artists that we should check out. And one of them is a concert in, uh, I, think it's, I think it's in Munich, Germany or something. I don't know. I can't, I can't remember where it is. 1994. And it's Brian Blade, Christian McBride, Brad Maldow, and Josh Redmond. They're all under the age of 26. Mm-hmm. And they, the, this is the first video I saw of them just playing this tune. And, 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 and you got to check out Christian solo on that, you know, that's that, that is just like a big moment for me, you know? So it's part of the, the, the repertoire that I, I, I really enjoy. So I decided, you know, I should put something on here that was uh, written by somebody that's, you know, more of recent times. Um, so I chose that tune. <laughs> good kind of mid-up-tempo-ish blues to kind of put on there, you know, so. Well, you put the cherry on top with that one, and it's great. And I think it's truly uh, an album uh, called The Artist, which from top to bottom, uh, in terms of the lineup of the tracks, uh, the music is stunning, and it will draw you in, just like I said at the beginning of this, where we've been playing this album over and over and over, and, and it's worth it because you, you, you will truly enjoy the music that is uh, produced by these four excellent musicians all under the guise and the head of uh, the lead, I should say, of John Lee. 
Thanks, Alan. That that actually means a lot, you know, to to say to if, to hear anyone's even listened to it more than once. It's a it's a it's a pleasure to hear. You know? Well, and uh, it should be required. You you must listen to it at least two to three times <laughs> before you put it back on the shelf. All right. Uh, in closing, uh, a few quick things. First of all. What happens next with you? I mean, you you play it all. You, as, as we said earlier, you you play almost every instrument in the book except the trumpet. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, could there be on the horizon sort of a one man band uh, release where you will mix all of the parts and put together one singular album by John Lee and only John Lee? You know. To be a hundred percent honest, that's something that I never really had interest in. It didn't uh, just the idea of trying to interact with myself. Once again, saying that I'm a real live player, it's like what what you know uh, the the idea of going in and recording all the tracks by myself is like it feels very opposite to what I kind of believe in in music. But I will say this. You know, I think I think if enough people would want to see or hear something like that, just what it what it might sound like, that maybe it might be worth doing. But I will say, just kind of my natural instincts about it, uh, I do stray away from it a little bit. But I'm open to anything. You know, I just never really thought about doing something like that. John, how can our listeners learn more about you and your music? Uh, I guess you can. You know, I'm not, I'm not like a, a real social media savvy person. You know, I'm, I'm really more of a, a real life guy, but you can, you can follow me on Instagram, John Lee Musician, all one word. You can also follow my Facebook page, which is also John Lee Musician, all one word. I'll post about gigs or maybe upcoming releases and things like that. But if you stick around maybe another year or two, uh, I have a feeling my, my second album will be on the horizon uh you know fairly soon you know but we're we're not going to record it this year for sure but maybe first thing next year and then maybe release it by kind of mid mid 2024 or something i'm not sure but yeah something for all of us to look forward to oh yeah i mean yeah i'm looking forward to kind of scheme up something that that really uh, makes sense and what the natural next step might be don't know what instrument yet though it won't be bass, though. John, this has been an absolute delight to spend this time with you, and I appreciate this. Uh, thank you for bringing the artist into the world of those of us who listen to and enjoy music day in and day out. And uh, I wish you all the best for the future, and thank you for being our guest on All That's Jazz. Well, thank you, Alan, so much for having me, and, and keep in touch. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with bassist and multi-instrumentalist John Lee. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.